From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. It's um, that time of year. You know, we're, we live in the um, Pacific Coast Flyway. So the, the we're at the end of the migration of the birds. Ah, yes. And so what's cool is, uh, you know, and we live near wetlands and creeks and all that. So we have a lot of birds that just live in our area. And it's neat right now when you wake up in the morning, you hear all the little songbirds in the trees, just chirping and yeah, and all that, and, yeah. and it helps that I put out seeds for them, <laughs> bird baths, and all that. But um, I, I just love this time as we're heading into spring, and all the new little birds are here. Oh yeah, and all that, and you have to feed the birds. Oh, I do. It's ingrained yeah. in your Disney DNA. It is, but it's way more than tuppets in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> so. But but we're um, having a lot of rain, which the birds enjoy. I see them splashing around. Yeah, out there. Yeah. That, so. No, I'm uh, I'm currently in Pennsylvania right now, and yeah, it's uh, definitely the opposite of Florida weather. So it's been all over the place. But uh, I've been through freezing rain. I've been through just regular rain. I've been through snow. I've been through just nothing uh gray miserable days that i miss from growing up in pennsylvania so it's i i'm not the type of person who should be living around sunshine uh it actually (laughs) it makes me feel worse than ugly miserable days do so uh it's it's been it's been wild it's been all over the place but i as i say many many times on this i am a winter person through and through i i love snow i i'm not one of those people who's like i love snow but i don't want to live in it um i if i could have everything i have in florida but then also get dumped on with snow all the time then that would be like that would be my life that would be so incredibly amazing but uh yeah no uh, it's uh it definitely even different weather than you're having but uh, always always nice to be in pennsylvania and I took Kylie to uh, Washington, D.C. to do some uh, education because uh, she's – I don't think she ever knew about anything in America's history or past. So I I made sure that she got got an education on on the history of our country and that that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Did so. you enjoy it? I love Washington, D.C. Yeah, we, it was just a quick trip. So uh, luckily it's from from my parents' house. It's about a three-ish hour car ride. So mm-hmm. uh, one time we went over uh, on our way back to Orlando. We stopped by and visited all of the outdoor 
uh, outdoor monument and such. So just made a, a quick pit stop to kind of do a lap around, you know, look at look at the Washington Monument, uh, Vietnam Memorial, World War II Memorial, Lincoln, Jefferson, all that. And this time we just took a, a day trip out and um, it, it's been years and years. I don't I think the last time I was in Washington, D.C. was like 1999, uh, actually for visiting. So we went to the, uh, the the Natural History Museum and the, the American History Museum and what's currently left of the Air and Space Museum right now. It's under massive renovation, so it was not super impressive, but it was a nice, nice little, nice little day experiencing something that uh, is still very touristy in a way, but has nothing to do with Disney at all. Mm-hmm. With the exception, no, except the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> yeah, well, with that, and uh, and then just really minor Disney connections in a way. Not not as much as I I feel like they could have, especially in like American history. In that museum, you think that they would they would find more ways to like loop in Disney, but uh, I I did get to stand next to one of the uh, one of the if not the original Swedish chef puppets. So at least oh, I have that. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Yeah. So. I always love a good Muppet sighting. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed they didn't have them telling American history. They, they should have been. State capital. They, they should have been. <laughs> I'm sure. So, well, now, during your time off, did you get to watch um, the, the last Pixar short, The Pitbull? I did actually. That's that's one of the things that I went out of my way to to watch it as as soon as I uh, had a free second because I saw so many good things about it and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, it tells the unlikely friendship between a kitten and a pit bull. It's not for the squeamish, maybe the young children only. Maybe because of one scene. Oh, it, it's there. dark and it has yeah. a violent side to it for sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's definitely like you know this. It's pushing the boundaries of saying that this is truly animation that is just not for 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 kids and not even necessarily for families in a way. I think there's a lot of mature kids who could sit there and watch it and enjoy it, but definitely the younger ones are going to be afraid at a few crucial moments in it. Yeah. Yeah, this is not one where you can just pop them in front of it, young children yeah. and let them watch it. <laughs> don't yeah. don't let them add it to their uh, iTunes or not iTunes, their YouTube playlist. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's about a kitten. It's a little feral kitten who steps outside, you know, basically it's comfort zone to make a connection. And it's uh, the director, Rosanna Sullivan. It's a lot of it is her personal story. This this cartoon takes place in the Mission District of San Francisco. And that's where um, she lived. And it and she was very shy and felt very vulnerable and she was a little girl and sort of that's the personality of this kitten and she 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 wanted to do a um story of this kitten just because i guess she used to watch kitten videos on youtube to relax <laughs> and then she just decided she wanted to do something fun and then this kitten sort of um this kitten story grew out of that and it's a 2d animated short 
which is really different for Pixar. So, you know, so they, the characters are hand drawn, the, the backgrounds are painted and then they layer them with 3d animation. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really interesting. Yeah. It's It's just very different from, uh, I mean, other animation studios out there have done similar looking stuff, but it's, it's definitely on, on the unique side for Disney and for Pixar. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's worth seeing. But, you know, with all those uh, cautions that we mentioned. Yeah. No. And, if uh, you know, it's even though, like, there's the kitten being the main star, there's it, it, it there. It's just extremely sad moments with with the pit bull itself. Mm-hmm. It's it's very, very uh, all over the place in terms of emotions. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, anyway, do you want to do you want to make another announcement about our Q and A episodes? Yeah, that's a great idea. So, uh, we are getting close to our deadline for our our question and answer uh, our question and answer episode that we're going to be doing, and our deadline for taking questions is officially March eighth, and then we are going to be recording. And releasing that episode later on down the line. I can't remember the exact dates. So not that it really matters on that unless you're that eager to hear whether or not we answered your question. Uh, of course, we have our thread on Facebook.com slash Unplugged, And that's where you're able to ask questions. I pinned it at one point. I think it got unpinned. So I'll have to make sure that it is back up there. Uh, for the last week so everyone can make sure they get their questions asked um, as always we will take questions about the theme parks about Walt about uh, the Disney studios Disney history in general anything just as long as it's not asking questions about what would Walt think of this or that because as we always say we can't answer that and then also no easy questions that can just be answered with a simple yes or no uh, we, we don't want to we don't want to shortchange anyone and you know Take that one time we answer your question, and then we don't we don't really give you a thorough uh, investigation on it. So mm-hmm. that's that's basically it. Besides that, okay. so make sure you get over to facebook dot com slash disunplugged. Ask your question if you have one, and hopefully we'll answer it on the show. But you only have till March eighth. Then you have to wait mm-hmm. for the next one we do in the summer. That's right. So, okay, um, and a reminder: uh, I'm going to be at the Walt Disney Family Museum on. Sunday, March 3rd, with the hosts of the Leaving Today podcast and Disney historian and author of Eat Like Walt, uh, Marcy um, Smothers. And we're going to be meeting in front of the museum at 1030 in the morning. And then um, apparently Marcy and I will be um, leading a tour uh, at the museum beginning at 11, just sort of pointing out some some of the things we both find interesting. Uh, of course, uh, you will you are responsible for admission to the museum. Um, there's it, we expect it to end I don't know around two or so two or three, um, and then I I just saw it posted on the Leaving Today podcast Facebook page that there is a post museum meetup at Super Duper Burgers. He said it's a mile away from the museum. Uh, there are multiple locations for in San Francisco for this um, this eatery, so I have no idea which one it is. So I'm not sure if I'll be going to that since I have a, a fairly long drive back. So 
but um, but I hope that you'll join us there. And, and, you know, if you have a Connecting with Walt shirt or a Diz shirt or something, be sure to wear it and say hello. I think we will have a very good time there. So looking forward to see, yeah. seeing you on Sunday, March 3rd at the museum. I also wanted to thank a couple of listeners. I think you know them, um, uh, Craig, uh, Jim and Leah. They, they are... Um, really good photographers they like to photograph uh, you know especially the theme parks and they've always, they've given me postcards over time yes yeah yes yeah. from walt disney and they produce a calendar every year and and what it is is it's photographs from the theme parks of um you know the, of their you know for each month there's a different photograph that they've taken of the theme park so they a couple weeks ago they sent me a wall calendar because they know I, I need a calendar in my study and they started providing me with one so um theirs arrived a couple weeks ago so i just wanted to thank them for their generosity and the photographs are stunning i think most of them are night photographs nice so nice. of of different attractions at both disneyland and the various parks at walt disney world so thank you very much so well, since Craig, as he mentioned, is on vacation this week, he's climbing the highest mountain, swimming the deepest sea, we went into the bowels of the Diz Unplugged underground compound where our Diz archives are located to bring you an episode I did for the Disneyland show back on March 25th, 2015, about the Disney family of wines. We mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago and and said hey the next time we bring a show out of the archives why don't we bring out this one and so we are <laughs> so here you go so sit back relax and pour yourself a glass of your finest and enjoy the show so your many dizzers are planning to visit southern california to celebrate disneyland's 60th anniversary and on the Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Edition, we regularly talk about other Southern California theme parks, museums, communities, and special events to help visitors experience all that Southern California has to offer. But for Disney fans coming to Disneyland to be a part of the 60th anniversary, you'll see the Disneyland Forever fireworks and a new world of color honor the man who started it all, Walt Disney. So to round out your visit to California and to satisfy your Disney fandom, I suggest you also set aside a few days to visit Northern California. Now, first-time visitors to Northern California may immediately notice a difference between the two halves of the state. Um, Northern California is much less urban, with the San Francisco Bay Area and the San Jose Silicon Valley metropolitan areas being the urban centers, and the rest of the state made up of suburban, small-town, rural, and agricultural communities. The state capital, Sacramento, is a small city with a, a Midwestern feel. In fact, when many movie companies need a, a Midwestern setting, they come up to California, um, to, to Sacramento to film, rather than traveling to the Midwest. Now, the obvious destinations for Disney fans visiting Northern California is the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco's historic Presidio, which I talk regularly about on the Dis Unplugged. But there are many fine dining restaurants and world-class museums throughout Northern California, and even the smallest of towns have outstanding dining opportunities, and Sacramento leads the nation in the farm-to-fork trend of restaurant dining. 
And of course, most people, especially those who enjoy wine, have heard of Northern California's wine valleys of Napa and Sonoma. And there are many opportunities for the Disney fan to enjoy some fine wines, take in spectacular scenery, experience unique shopping and dining, and satisfy their inner Disney craving. So on a previous episode, Mary Jo talked about one of the um, wineries that's in the Disney family of wines available at Disneyland. And according to the Disney Parks blog, the Disney family of wines is a diverse collection that has a personal connection to the Disney name, an artistic talent, a sense of what makes for good storytelling, quintessential family DNA, all of the wineries displaying qualities long identified with Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Company, carrying on the Disney legacy and typifying the passion, innovation, and quality that the name Disney symbolizes. And there are eight different wineries in the Disney Family of Wines collection, and each of the wineries have a distinct connection to Walt Disney and the Walt Disney Companies. And the wineries are the Fess Parker Winery. The winery was purchased in 1987 by Fess Parker, the actor who's best known from his roles as Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone in the 1950s and 60s. The McMurray Estates Vineyard and the McMurray Ranch was opened in 1941 by Fred McMurray, an actor best known for his roles in The Shaggy Dog, My Three Sons, The Absent-Minded Professor, and Son of Flubber. The Silverado Vineyards um, was started by Diane Disney Miller, the late daughter of Walt Disney, and with, um, with her husband Ron in 1981. The Lassiter Family Winery is owned by John Lassiter and his wife Nancy. John is the chief creative officer of Pixar and Walt Disney Animation, as well as the principal creative advisor for Walt Disney Imagineering. And Ngoji Wines is owned and operated by actor Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell starred in many Disney films, including The Fox and the Hound as the voice of Cooper Copper, Miracle, Sky High, The Strongest Man in the World, and The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. The Frank Family Vineyards is owned by Richard Frank. He's the former president of the Academy of Television and Arts and Sciences. He was the chairman of Walt Disney Television and Communications and president of the Walt Disney Studios. The Chapelet Winery, this is owned but operated by Molly Wells Chapelet, sister to the late Frank Wells, who was the former president and COO of the Walt Disney Company. And finally, Skywalker Vineyards, which is owned and operated by George Lucas, probably best known as the creator of Star Wars. Now, the Disney family of wines can be found in various Disney Park restaurants at Le Cellier at Epcot Center, and the El Fresco Tasting Terrace in Disney California Adventure being the only two to carry all eight of these wines. Wow. Yeah. Now, Mary Jo, you talked a little about the Goji Vineyards in your segment, and we'll have a link to that segment in our show notes. Um, do you, what do you remember about the Goji wines? Can you just refresh our listeners a little about that winery? Sure. Um, Kurt Russell was very interested in wines and he and Goldie Hawn would visit the Santa Barbara County area. And there's a little town there called Los Alamos and nearby there's, um, a winery, a vineyard called the Ampello Cellars <laughs> that make wine. And Kurt Russell decided that he wanted to do his own blend. So he's been, he had been working with this, these wine cellars for years and years with, um, their owners, Peter and Rebecca work. And he personally goes and he blends wines for the Pinot Noir, um, 
which is one that we have that we drank over at the Alfresco Terrace over there at um, California Adventure. But he also does Chardonnays, and he names all of his wines after his family members. And the Chardonnay that he that is named after Goldie Hawn, um, part of that goes to her charity. So he's very big into it. His focus is in it. I'm always seeing pictures of him um, having. They just had a huge. Um, shindig, I'll call it, <laughs> with, with his, with his wines. But that is located in northern Santa Barbara in a 1800s hotel. There's a wine saloon there that his sister operates. And you could run into Kurt Russell because I do know that he goes up there and visits also. Oh, that's great. I like mm-hmm. it too when these wineries have a personal connection, like something that, touches back to their family or life experiences. And a number of these wineries do. When you visit them and start learning about them, you realize they've put a lot of themselves, you know, into the wines. And uh, and, and before you continue, I'll just agree with you with that, Michael. I think it's wonderful that they, it's not just their name they're slapping on and label. They're actually taking active uh, participation in creating these blends and these wines. Yeah, and that's what I learned in the other seven wineries I'm going to talk about is is how active these these the Disney family of wines um, owners and operators are with their vineyards. So now the wine country is about an hour drive from San Francisco, and the easiest way to visit the wineries is by car. But if you've driven in Southern California and have vowed Never again. <laughs> you know, don't worry because Northern California traffic is a little less intense. Um, most of the roads, though, that you're going to be driving on in the Napa and Sonoma valleys are winding two lane, r- lane roads, which can be congested on holiday weekends or due to road construction. So I really recommend you get an early start. However, if you prefer to have the driving done for you so you can fully enjoy what the wineries have to offer, there are many bus tours of the wine country, and there are limousine companies who will work with you to plan a tour of the wine country, so all you have to do is sit back and relax. Um, Your hotel concierge or a Google search can help you select the perfect way for you to visit the wine country. And you definitely, like I said, you definitely want to begin your trip early in the morning to avoid traffic as much as possible. And as Tom mentioned in the beginning, there's no way you could visit all these wineries in one day. For many of these wineries, you have to make reservations for tasting. So I suggest planning two or three days to fully experience the wine country. Um, you're, you are going to have to do some pre-planning and enjoy strolling through the shops of some of the towns and enjoy the restaurants. There are plenty of boutique hotels, motor inns, and bed and breakfasts throughout the wine country um, where you can stay and explore. In terms of locations, all the Napa Valley wineries are the southernmost wineries off the Silverado Trail. Now, Glen Ellen is more to the west off Highway 12, which can have a lot of congestion. Um, St. Helena is about 20 miles north of Napa on Highway 29. And Calistoga is about 10 miles north of St. Helena on Highway 29. And these are the towns where all of the wineries are located that I'm going to talk about. So now let's each of us open our favorite bottle of wine, pour a glass, and visit the wineries. 
<laughs> so, yeah, there you go. Already started. I had mine a little earlier when I was writing this. Um, well, you have to know what you're talking about. So forgive so the typos. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, forgive the slurred S's, right? Um, now, the first one I'm going to talk about is the McMurray Estate Vineyards. As I mentioned, this was first owned by the late Fred McMurray and is currently operated by Fred's daughter, Kate McMurray. And this is the one that goes back the furthest, right? Um. In terms of, well, there's, there's one, some have an older history. Okay. But this one, um, has been an operating ranch, um, probably before all of the others really were open. Now, the thing about the McMurray Estate Vineyards is that it's not open to the public, but there is a wine club. So if you're a member of the wine club, you can visit the ranch house and attend events. Now, their motto is, Pino is a journey, join us. Their namesake vineyard is McMurray Ranch, and that this is located in Sonoma County, and it has been a farmstead since the 1850s. It was first farmed by the Porter family until actor Fred McMurray bought the ranch in 1941. And Fred embraced the rancher's lifestyle. He raised prize-winning cattle and farmed crop here for decades, while his children rode horses through the hills. And the ranch was transformed into a vineyard in 1996, and McMurray Ranch quickly became one of the Russian River Valley's most acclaimed Pinot Noir vineyards. The original buildings have been faithfully restored, and the 1,500-acre property is home to old-growth oaks, redwood trees, and indigenous wildlife. So the McMurray Ranch produces Pinot Noir and a select amount of Chardonnay and Pinot Gris, which are cool climate white varieties that are able to thrive in the same soils as Pinot Noir. So members of the Club 1941 Wine Club are amongst the first to taste new releases and may attend exclusive events at their historic property, which is otherwise closed to the public. Now, the next one is probably one that we, we are all familiar with, and that's the Silverado Vineyards. And that was founded by Ron and Diane Disney Miller. This is open daily um, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. to the public. It's located in Napa, California. There is a wine club, and the wine is available online and can be shipped to 36 states. And that, that is one of the things that you're going to notice is that um, – Silverado could probably ship to more states than most of the other wineries. Um, they all have different limitations as to where they can ship. So that's why you want to check their websites. This is a beautiful winery, and it has very scenic views of its vineyards. Um, now, each one of its vineyards has its own distinctive flavors and character. Their Stag's Leap Vineyard is where they produce the Cabernet and Merlot. Miller Ranch is where the grapes for Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Simeon are grown. The Mount George Vineyard is where they produce their Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Petit Verdot. Soda Creek Ranch is where the Sangiovese and the Sauvignon Blanc are produced. Fine Tree Vineyard is the Chardonnay grapes, and the Weinberg Vineyard is also where they produce the Chardonnay grapes. Now, the winery offers several tours and tastings. You do have to make all these arrangements in advance. Um, the Silverado experience is the ultimate tasting experience on the terrace. And this begins with an introduction to the winery and follows with a brief 15-minute tour, which includes their collection of 
Belle Epoque posters and Pine Air originals, and their ambassadors then guide you to the terrace with sweeping 180-degree views of the Stag's Leap District, and they pour a flight of rare and small production wines. And this is offered only by appointment, um, and it is from 10.30 a.m. at 12, 1.30, and 3. It's $45 per person, and all of their tours are limited to guests 21 and over. They have the Saddle Block Vineyard Troop, a tour. This is a private vineyard experience. You can sample wines crafted from grapes growing just a few feet away as you enjoy a private tour of the Saddleblock Vineyard and relax in the shade of a magnificent valley oak. Um, they also include seasonal appetizers. This is um, only offered seasonally May through October by appointment at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. It's a $75 um, charge per person, two guest minimum, four guest maximum, and they recommend comfortable footwear for walking in the vineyards. They have the library tasting, and this is an interesting one because that you go through their 30-year history of Cabernet. So they will provide you with a selection of Cabernet Sauvignon spanning four decades from the 1980s 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. And it, they also include small bite food pairing to complement the special selection of wines. If you have a favorite vintage, if it's available, they will include it in the tasting if you let them know. Again, this is offered by appointment at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. It's $75 a person, two-person minimum. They have the estate tour and tasting. This is a, this is a, an entertaining and educational tour of the Silverado's winery estate. And they have, um, for, you can also have, um, groups and large parties for up six to 50 guests. You can have a private tour or tasting experience. They take you to a private corner of the winery where you and your party can taste Silverado's award-winning wines, enjoy the view. And, and, um, you can add cheese pairing for an additional cost. Ooh. This is offered by appointment. So you have to call. Um, 707-259-6617. It's $50 a person or $60 if it's um, with the cheese pairing. Um, like I mentioned, they do have a wine club and you um, get a number of benefits, including access to limited production wines, um, preferred pricing, complimentary wine tasting and tours, and invitation to wine club events. Um, now, there are some references to Disney at the winery. So when you visit, there are two circular stained glass windows that were made in Lillian Disney's honor, one of a lily and the other of her favorite flower, the California poppy. The next one on our list in our visit here is my particular favorite, the <laughs> Lassiter Family Winery. And this is owned by John and Nancy Lassiter. Visits are offered by appointment only. So it's located in Glen Ellen, California. And there is a wine club. And wine is also available online for ordering. Um, in the early 90s, John and Nancy Lassiter were looking for a place to put down roots in a small town where they could raise their five children. And when John saw Glen Ellen, he immediately knew this was the place to raise his family. And then shortly after establishing themselves in the community, they caught the winemaking bug. And by 1997, they were bottling up their own Bordeaux blend to give out as Christmas gifts. And sure enough, in just a little while, the Lassiter family winery was born. So they acquired the winery property in 2002. And the Lassiters 
embarked on an environmentally sensitive upgrading for the property that was long neglected. So they restored the natural habitat and land to good health, and they've converted the vineyards exclusively to organic farming practices. They completely revitalized the pond and developed a a natural ecosystem with beehives that their youngest son tends to, um, owl boxes, and insectaries to provide homes for beneficial insects and predators. Now, the Lasseter wines are crafted in an old-world style as a homage to Nancy and John's love of France. So the wines are rosé and red blends in the French tradition. And one of the reasons I like these wines is because these are the only red wines I can drink without getting a headache. And I mentioned this to John and Nancy, and they... Um, cause I know I'm on a first name basis, of course. <laughs> and, and they said that, and they were talking to their vintner and they think that it's because of the, the style of the French blending that, um, that what's causes the headaches is, is not in the, in the wines. So that's one. So if you do get headaches from red wines, you might want to try Lasseter family, um, wines and see. Yeah. So now they, they only have a few wines and they're all in French. So I'm not going to say any of these properly. Especially after drinking some of it. Yes. The Chemin de Fer, which means railroad. This is a red blend in the Southern Rhone style with a focus on Grenache. La Mai du Sage, which means soul of the wise man. This is an old vine Sinfandel that is made in the classic field blend style developed by European immigrants who brought winemaking to California. The name pays homage to the century-old vines that produced this unique blend. Paysage, which means landscape painting and countryside. This is a Bordeaux-style blend of Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Malbec. An Amaro, which means lovers. This is a Bordeaux dough-style blend made primarily of Malbec and Cabernet Sauvignon. John and Nancy were first introduced to Malbec on their honeymoon in Sonoma County, and this wine commemorates that discovery. And bricolage, um, this is an assemblage of found materials or tinkering. This vintage of bricolage was inspired by the Shiraz Cabernet blends of Australia with the addition of Merlot, making it unique to the Lasseter family winery. They've also just introduced their first white wine, but it's in very limited release and right now is only available to um, wine club members. Um, tastings are $25 a person. They're complimentary for Lasseter family wine members. And the visits are offered by appointment only and are available daily beginning at 10 a.m. And the estate visits last approximately one and a half hours. So to book your visit, phone 707-933-2814 um, or by email at reservations at lfwinery.com. Now, the tastings include a behind-the-scenes look at the art of winemaking and the passion that the Lassiters have brought to the challenge of producing world-class wines. Your visit begins with a walk through their organically farmed vineyards, and from there you'll explore the barrel room, tank room, and crush pad, and then your wine specialist host will bring the journey of grapes to, um, to glass to life, as they say. And you'll be invited to relax in their wine room, um, to taste the collection of Lasseter family wines, and it's accompanied by a plate of local artisan cheeses and also some um, crackers as well. It's it's really nice, and they'll ask like you. <clears throat> it really is, and they'll ask you any questions you have, or 
you don't answer any questions you have. And in the, the, um, hosts we had was very well versed in Disney because somebody in our group, um, <laughs> had a few Disney questions. And the wine club, a membership in the Lasseter Family Wine Club means you get exclusive access to the small production wines. You can't really purchase their wines, um, except in some of the shops in Glen Ellen or, or if it's offered in restaurants. Um, membership includes invitations to exclusive events. And yes, John and Nancy do attend many of those events. Mm. Um, concierge level service and complimentary tours and tastings and other unique opportunities reserved exclusively for club members. For instance, they're having a lobster boil at the next event, um, out on there on this amazing patio they have that overlooks the pond. But, um, we're on, we're on the, um, the Diz cruise. For oh, that one, man. so I so you'll be eating, eating salmon instead. Yeah, yeah, that's okay then. Um, and periodically, items like Pixar wine glasses may be for sale in the winery shop. And John Lasseter had the Marie E restored, a train that was once owned by animator and one of Walt's nine old men, Ollie Johnston. And the train wow. now has a home at the winery. Okay, that's cool. There's so many tie-ins, you know that, know. that they're yeah. related. That is so neat. Yeah, and and actually their labels are beautiful. They're like works of art, yeah. and they're, they're done by a local artist. And some of them either relate directly to the wine or it's a location in the um, winery. On one of them, when we were drinking the wine and they were showing us the, the um, label, and the person said, doesn't this look familiar? And I'm saying, why? why? And he said, look out the window. So he looked out the window. That was the scene. Oh, nice. That was on the label. Yeah, it was really interesting. So because it is because of the tree, the tree was really interesting in the and the pottery that they had outside. Oh, cool. So, yeah. And um, so the next one is the Frank Family Vineyards. And this is owned by Rich Frank. He was chairman of Walt Disney Television and Telecommunications and head of Disney syndication on Buena Vista. He was then president of Walt Disney Studio for nearly a decade and oversaw the development of the Disney Channel. This is located in Calistoga, California. It is open daily, 10 to 5 to the public. There is a wine club. They have a lot of events if you check out their website. And their wine is available online. So in the late 1980s, Frank Rich couldn't find the time to get away for long vacations. Soon he started coming to Napa on the weekends, realizing it was only a short plane flight away from Los Angeles. And in 1990, he purchased a home in the eastern hills of Napa in Rutherford. So two years later, in 1992, Rich received a midnight phone call at his home in Los Angeles from a friend telling him that the Cornell Champagne Cellars on the site of historic Larkmead Winery was for sale, and if there was ever time to get into the wine business, it was now. And um, Frank was unsure of entering the business full swing, so he wisely offered half the asking price. And less than 24 hours later, he was an owner of the Calistoga Winery. <laughs> it was meant <laughs> so, to be. It was. So today, the winery produces Chardonnay, Zinfantel, Sangiovese, and Pinot Noir, and Petite Syrah, and several very different um, types of Cabernet Sauvignons. The Frank Family Vineyard Reserve wines are produced in small quantities, and they're currently only sold at the winery in a handful of selected restaurants and wine shops. 
The winery's tasting rooms are in a restored 70-year-old craftsman house, which just going there to see the house is worth the visit. Um, also, the original house on the property, I think it's, it's a large stone house, has been fully restored and is on the um, state's list of historic homes. Um, the visitor hours, um, the tasting room is located just south of the town of Calistoga in Napa Valley. And the tasting room is open daily to the public from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, to guarantee a tasting, the winery asks that you make an online reservation. Um, you note, it's important to note the groups of six or more require an appointment. Um, there are some tasting fees. And this is, excuse me, becoming much more common now amongst the wineries. So for $20, the classic tasting, you get four Napa Valley wines, a Chardonnay, a Pinot Noir, a Zinfandel, and a Cabernet. For $30 um, is the premium tasting, and that will include sparkling wine and their reserve wines. And wine club members receive a complimentary premium tasting for up to four people, along with, you know, all kinds of other benefits. And finally, I, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce this one. It's, it's either Chapelet or Chapelet. Um, this is a Chapelet winery. Um, Molly Chapelet is a sister of Frank Wells. So this is a little stretch here, the Disney family concept, you know? Um, <laughs> second cousins of the second, or maybe they're kissing yeah. cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, in this case, it's the sister. You're Frank Wells, um, who we remember as, as, you know, um, Michael Eisner's partner when they took over the Walt Disney Company. Um, visits are offered by appointment only. This is in St. Helena in Pritchard Hill. Um, and purchase of wine online is available. And this is definitely like the 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 um, Lasseter Family Winery. This is definitely a family-run operation. Um, when Molly and Don Chapelet moved to Pritchard Hill in 1967, they had five children and one on the way. And as their vineyards have matured, Molly and Don's family have grown, and their five children now work with their parents in running the winery. The grandchildren are, are playing in the vineyards, you know, just like um, their own their parents did before them. This is the f- one of the first Napa Valley wineries to plant cover crops and adopt no-till farming practices. So today, the entire vineyard is farmed organically. Um, their portfolio includes Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and the Mountain Cuvée blend. So now guests can experience a variety of wine tastings at the winery's iconic pyramid. Um, visitors will sample limited production wines um, that are made exclusively for the Pritchard Hill Club, um, tour their historic facility, and if the weather permits, you can walk in the vineyard. And during the 90-minute experience, you'll discover Pritchard Hill's terrain and the role it plays in producing Chapelet wines, because this is on a hill. So a lot of their wines are um, sort of are, are special um, sort of hill-produced Chardonnays and things. So it's interesting. So advanced appointments are required. Um, experiences range in price from $35 to $75 a person. And you can call their um, concierge desk for more information at 707-286-4219. And wine club members receive a complimentary tour for up to six people along with a lot of other benefits. And, you know, I'm throwing in Skywalker Vineyards here. 
Um, it's owned by filmmaker George Lucas, but it's not open to the public and there's no wine club. <laughs> so, um, but, buy and wave. That's right. Yeah. And you, and you have to know where it is. <laughs> now wine is available online. So they, and they can ship to 11 states. And this is the only winery not located in Napa or Sonoma. This is in Marin County. Um, so it's on sort of on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco, but it's a bit of a drive. Um, overlooking vineyards and originally designed as a winery, the picturesque technical building at Skywalker Ranch in Marin County is headquarters to post-production industry leader Skywalker Sound. Now, growing up in Modesto, George Lucas was surrounded by vineyards, the, and the fragrance of fermenting grapes permeated the air. And the small Central Valley community was imbued with the culture of grape growing and winemaking. And so then, so then Lucas was later inspired and encouraged by the success of his friend, Francis Coppola's winemaking endeavors. So George Lucas decided to begin his own venture. So Lucas's first vineyard plantings were in 1991, and they yielded scenic grapes and passable wines, but Lucas was inspired for, you know, grander vintner ambitions. And historically, West Marin County has been notable as an inhospitable environment for grapes. Um, it has violent temperature swings, uh, there's stiff ocean winds, and rough terrain. Uh, so long ago, branded the region as too risky for growing grapes. But by virtue of the varietal's inherent tenacity, Pinot Noir planting began in 2003 because it requires the least amount of heat to mature. And it was the only red to survive and thrive despite, despite, um, West Marin's fluctuating climate and short growing season. So today Skywalker Vineyards offers Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Now there's more to see in all these areas besides the wineries. There are miles of beautiful vineyards, especially around harvest time in the fall. There's scenic mountain views and a chance to experience a bird's eye view of the land many mornings via a hot air balloon ride. And winery tours are not complete without visiting the historic towns of Yontville, Rutherford, Oakville, St. Helena, and Calistoga that's most famous for its mud bath spas. Um, all have unique offerings for the wine spectator and those interested in California history, food, and art. Now, Disney fans have other reasons besides wine to visit the Napa Valley. 1960s Pollyanna utilized several exterior locations in and around St. Helena. In the opening credits of Pollyanna, and that, that Haley Mills um, production, the initial shot of a group of young boys swimming in the old swimming hole was filmed at the Sulphur Springs Railroad trestle at the entrance to the town. Jimmy Bean, played by Kevin Mucci Corcoran, rolls his hoop with a stick through the Napa countryside on his way to the Harrington Railroad Station. And along the way, he passes the Bale Grist Mill, which is now a state historic park located three miles north of St. Helena. And in the afternoons, they actually offer um, demonstrations on, on milling. Um, the water power grist mill was built in 1846 and was once the center of social activity as Napa Valley settlers gathered to have their corn and wheat ground into meal or flour. We first meet Haley Mills as Pollyanna arriving at St. Helena's Southern Pacific Railroad Depot, which still stands today in the center of the town and is now used as offices. The uninterrupted countryside of two private ranches, the Lure Ranch on Guerneville Road in Santa Rosa, 
and the Egan Ranch, which was owned by the uncle of Richard Egan, who played Dr. Edmund Chilton, were also used in the film. And if you remember, the foreboding home of Mr. Pendergrass, the meanest man in town, was played by early movie star Adolf Menju in his final film role, was a historic manor house at Stag's Leap Winery in Napa. And this two-story stone structure with its distinctive corner tower was built from rock from a nearby quarry around 1890, and it was also featured in several films and a television series, Falcon Crest, which which Pollyanna co-star Jane Wyman mm-hmm. later played matriarch Angela Channing in Falcon Crest when it ran from 1981 to 1990 on CBS. And various communities in Napa served as the fictitious Tuscany Valley. Um, Disney's 1988 remake of The Parent Trap, starring Dennis Quaid, Natasha Richardson, and in her film debut, Lindsay Lohan, Woo! was... Yes, was partially <laughs> it was partially set in the Napa Valley. Um, the Stagland family vineyard in Rutherford was used for the sequences seen in the movies Parker Knoll Vineyard. And Disney animator and People in Places True Life Adventure producer Ben Sharpstein and his wife Bernice retired to a ranch near Calistoga. In 1978, the couple founded the Sharpstein Museum, which primarily explores the history of the town, but there's also a section devoted to Sharpstein's life and award-winning career with the Walt Disney Studios. And this museum is located at 1311 Washington Street in Calistoga, and interested visitors can access more information by visiting www.sharpsteinmuseum.org or calling the museum at 707-942-5911. So Walt Disney once said, I always like to look at on the optimistic side of life, but I am realistic enough to know that life is a complex matter. So whether you're contemplating the complexities of life or relaxing and thinking about how wonderful life is, savor the moment with a glass of wine from the Disney family of wines and start planning a trip to Northern California. Well, Craig, if you, if you are, are done, you know, if you finished your glass of um, Silverado Chardonnay, are you ready for this week in Disney history? Oh, absolutely I am. Okay, great. All right, well, this is for the week of March 3rd. Again, it, this a lot of award shows, <laughs> a lot of award show questions. It was really hard to find things that didn't revolve around that. But I found a few things. So, okay, for March 3rd, which Epcot Center attraction debuted on March 3rd, 1983? 1983. So my, that's, of course, as I said last week, that is my birthday. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, my birthday is shared with an attraction, and I believe that one was one that had a big impact on my childhood. I think it, if I can remember, it opened on this day, but it wasn't necessarily its grand opening, and I believe that was Journey mm-hmm. into Imagination. That's right. Yeah, Journey into Imagination. You and Figment were born on the same day. So and, and I mean, Figment was my favorite for years and years and years and years until, obviously, we all know what happened with Figment. So, yeah, 
Yeah, he 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 went through his midlife crisis. <laughs> but anyway, but um, it will have its like you said, it'll have its official opening two days later. It's in two days later, and it was sponsored by Kodak. Yep, yep. It debuted. So. Okay, March fourth. Which Walt Disney World, which Walt Disney World War II propaganda film was awarded an Oscar for short subjects cartoon at the 15th Academy Awards on March 4th, 1943? The only one I know the name for is Der Fuhrer's Face, so I kind of have to just guess that one by default. It is. You're right. Oh, there you go. Space. Also, there was a humorous song that Spike Jones made yeah. famous. They were uh, they were showing a clip of Der Fuhrer's face inside the the American History Museum in the war section. So, oh, that's cool. Fresh on my mind too. There you go. Okay. All right, for March fifth, which Disney film received the People's Choice Award for favorite comedy motion picture on March fifth? 1995. 1995. Um, hmm. That's... It's one of your... And it's for your favorite holiday. Okay. Um, that actually helps a lot. Because otherwise, I was like, well, 95, wasn't that the year of Pocahontas? I mean, <laughs> some people laugh at that, but... I don't think in general. Um, 95 holiday. Is it the Santa Claus, maybe? It is the Santa Claus. You're very good with yeah. films. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, that, that's a tough one. So there's not many good Disney Christmas movies from that time. And I know about but Christmas Carol was a couple of years earlier, so... That had to be rolled out right away. So yeah. Okay, March sixth. On March sixth, nineteen sixty-three, various versions of a Sherman Brothers song is recorded for a Disney attraction. What is the name of the song and of the attraction? Ooh, um, <clears throat> hmm. I. I mean, I'm assuming it's either one of two things. It's either. It's a small world, or then great big beautiful tomorrow and carousel of progress. Um, I'll, I'll go with the the latter, and I'll go with there's a great big beautiful tomorrow and carousel You're, of progress. You are correct. Various versions of the song "There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow," written by Richard M. and Robert B. Sherman, are recorded for a Disney attraction that will be featured in the upcoming New York World's Fair. So, Disney uh, staff composer Buddy Baker arranged the tune in various different musical styles to fit the Carousel of Progress, and of course, that will be in the General Electric Pavilion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It'd be fun to hear all of those various. Yeah, that's. Well, that's. I I do enjoy the different changes, especially the, especially with our Walt Disney World version, having mm-hmm. the the distinct uh, the the really different ones. I know, I know, it was back then too, but I feel like they're almost goofy in the Walt Disney World version now. <laughs> 
Well, in a ceremony prior to the opening of Disneyland on May 7th, 2008, this Disney legend and friend of the Diz received a window on Main Street, USA. So who received this honor? Oh, um, May 7th, or March 7th, 2008. Um, friend of the Diz. So I'm assuming he's been at one of the Diz events before. And unfortunately, I don't know everyone who was at the events before I was around, so that doesn't really help. Um, I mean, oh. I've I've actually I've interviewed this person. You've interviewed this person too. And there's your hint. I. Oh man, I f- I'm. I'm feeling really stumped on this one. Um, I I I can't even think of who it might be. Well, the window reads, Riding the Road to the Future, Meteor Cycle Company, oh. Our Vehicles Pass yeah. the Test of Time, Fast Faultless and fadless, Bob Gurr, design impresario. Yep, I, yeah. I, for some reason, I wasn't thinking that he had one. Yeah, but. he and he's very proud of the fact that he was the first person that actually had like a three D window because he has the tricycle. Yeah, yeah, know, the, the bike um, hanging outside his window, which then Rolly Crump was the second person to get you know a similar kind of um yeah yeah his window so. anyway and of course uh folks most likely know bob gurr's responsible for designing utopia the monorail omnimovers and the main street vehicles yeah i should have just guessed it so i mean it's i know that we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of great people at some of our events and i was like maybe dave smith but I don't know if he has a window, and maybe Bob Kerr, but I don't know if he has a window. So, that was bad on me. Okay, on uh, March 8th now, an art director, Imagineer, and Disney legend passed away on March 8th, 1998. He worked on the original concepts for Disneyland and on many feature films, including Moon Pilot, Babes in Toyland, Bon Voyage, and Big Red, as well as television projects like the Davy Crockett and Zorro television series. He was also married to Walt Disney's niece, Marjorie Sewell. Who is this Disney legend? I have no idea. I can't even fathom a guess. It's Marvin Davis, not to be confused with Mark Davis. I don't want to sound terrible. I can't even place anything with Marvin Davis. Besides, like you you said all that stuff, but I can't... I don't know what it would have taken for me to be able to guess him. Yeah. Well, in, in, uh, in my series, 60 Years of Disneyland, that got started on the Disneyland show, I talk a lot about him. So, um, because he's instrumental in its design. I I mean I listened. I just 
Apparently, I as I get older, I'm just not retaining information. <laughs> oh, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> so, okay. Well, March 9th, that last one for this week. What debuted at Disney's Hollywood Studios on March 9th, 2008? I am not sure. Um, it, it, it's Pixar-themed. That helps. Pixar themed. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't help because I think everything else was already pretty much established. Uh, are you ready to party? No. I, I'm. If that's a clue, it still did not help me. <laughs> uh, see, we got to enjoy this before we sent it off to you. This is Disney's block party bash. And the parade gotcha. features the Pixar family of characters in three segments, Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., and A Bug's Life, with The Incredibles making an appearance at the parade's finale. Gotcha, yeah. I, I remember now, but this one did not leave a huge impact on me no, at all. No, and I don't think it lasted a terribly long time before they started the renovations. Did it? I don't think so, no. So, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was the last parade. It, um, no, I think Disney, like, well, I guess, I don't know if you would count, like, the Disney Channel stuff that they did for a while coming down the street. If they count that, then I believe that went till about 2010 or so. Oh, okay. No, I, I was thinking, I knew that they did little ones. I thought this was the first i thought this is the last of the major ones because of something they were doing to the roots the parade route and mm. it interfered with this parade and uh, i I, can't, I don't remember the details anymore yeah no i'm this see this is this is the the point right before i came down so it started moving down here so we came pretty often still because my sister was was living in Florida at this time. But it's you know it was a weird time because I was all about like e-ticket attractions and mm-hmm. and everything amazing and enjoying my time here. But uh, it was always nonstop trips full of just riding stuff and not taking in a lot of details like like parades and such. So uh, I'm I'm just gonna chalk it up to that, or that it was so bad that I didn't bother with it. One of the two. Uh, it, it could have been either one. <laughs> but anyway, but you did pretty well. So, well done. Yeah, strong start. Bad finish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Craig, uh, have you been enjoying any Disney wines during your um, time off this week? As of recording this, no, but I did... Uh, I when you sent me over the script and stuff uh, earlier before to look at our intro and outro, I did look up uh, the, the liquor stores around where I'm at and the wine stores to see if there was was any around. And, and there are some. Uh, you can find Silverado here and there, and mm-hmm. and some other Disney family wines. So I'm, I might have to pick some up. So 
I, I do enjoy Silverado a lot. I would have to say that's probably my favorite. So. Silverado's good. I remember you mentioned you like the Chardonnay. Yes. I, of course, I'm partial to Lasseter Winery, uh, mainly because I can drink their red wine because it's the French blend um, way they make uh-huh, their reds. Uh-huh. I don't get headaches with it, uh, with their wine. But I like their whites. But you know what is a wine that really surprised me that I like? Uh, Fred McMurray. Yeah, actually, that's uh, the Fred McMurray Pinot Noir is probably my absolute favorite mm-hmm. Pinot to drink. Like it, it's a go-to, and uh, it's it's one of those ones if I see it on a menu at Disney or even out and about because every now and then I find it out and about at other places. It's one that I, I inevitably pick up because it's it's reasonably priced. I know like it, it targets in Florida. It's like eighteen ninety nine. Other places like I've I've gotten it for as cheap as like thirteen ninety nine. Uh and you just it, it's it is one of the tastiest Pinot Noirs that yeah, I have had. Yeah, Bevmo had uh, a while back. They had some of their whites, and they were very good as well. Um, I'm very impressed with that winery. I haven't had all of the wines yet from Disney Family Wines, but I'm getting there. Some are some you just can't get unless you go to the winery itself. Yeah, yeah. and that's I, I I would like to try a little bit more of uh, McMurray's because, like, I, I know he also they they make a Chardonnay too. Um, and that I've just never had before. I I do enjoy uh, Fest Parker, mm-hmm. and uh, I sometimes I like when they have fun labels on it. Like I know the uh, the Frontier Red used to have a really fun label with uh, Fest Parker right on it, and that one was cool. So I have that actually sitting in my in my little liquor cabinet that I have because one day I'm going to make a lamp out of it. So, oh, that's cool. You yeah. have to post a photo of that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I have a Lasseter bottle that was the first lamp I made. So it was – it's um, – I can't remember even which which wine it was, but it was the one with the train label. Oh, yeah. It. And mm-hmm. so it's it's really easy. You just get a – you get a drill bit that you can uh, – a diamond drill bit that will cut through glass. And you basically – you practice on a lot of really cheap bottles. <laughs> until you get good at <laughs> drilling a hole in the bottom and then they make uh they make light kits where you can literally just put a put the uh where the light bulb connects into it will fit perfectly right into a bottle of wine and then you you sand down the the glass and just loop the cord through to make sure it won't get cut and then it's all done right there and you have a nice a nice lamp made out of a wine bottle so and it's no, a, it's a nice cool. it's a nice unassuming way, especially with like the Disney wines, where mm-hmm. you can keep that little piece of Disney in your house, uh, and it might not necessarily be like really upfront, like oh this is a Disney decoration, uh, because it is, but not everyone will really pick that out. Mm-hmm. That's very clever. I like that idea. All right. Well, Craig, uh, when how even though you'll be you're away this week, but when you get back, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, even though I'm out, you can still connect with me all the normal ways that you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Teleclaster, and then uh, as always, you can email me Craig at wdwinfo.com, and uh, then always on the Tuesday 
show, the Disney World edition, Wednesdays on the Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, Thursdays on the Universal edition, Fridays on Connecting with Walt, and who knows what else I'll pop up in. But <laughs> what about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling. Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at the official Connecting with Walt Twitter page at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 